It's me, it's Doug. This week, Ishmael Valenzuela of McAfee and the Sands Institute, who needs no introduction, joins us for an in-studio interview in the News Rapid 7, Tenable, you name it. Uh, they got new headquarters, HP CEO steps down, announcements for uh, CA World, and more on this episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we talk security vendors and aren't afraid to name names. It's Enterprise Security Weekly. Was, uh, the teleprompter now has artificial intelligence, Doug, and updates itself. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, uh, this week, and talk about him as it relates to enterprise security, you're going to do great. <laughs> We're gonna, we're gonna, I think that people think that you and I talk like every day at night. You know, yeah. it's like, hey, what are you doing? It's kind of a bit of an exhausting week. And I think that we noticed that a little bit in the uh, stories for this week as well. Logarithms Netmon Freemium delivers real-time network visibility to quickly identify emerging threats in your IT environment. Netmon Freemium is a free commercial-grade network forensics and traffic analytics solution. You can use Netmon Freemium's powerful capabilities to search against all observed network traffic, identify abnormal traffic patterns and application usage, and quickly analyze full packet captures. Take the first step towards real-time network visibility. Visit logarithm.com forward slash freemium to learn more and download it today. Are you worried about PCI compliance? Does your development team understand or care about security? Are you ready to face a breach of your customer's sensitive data? See the worst that can happen before it does. Black Hills Information Security can help you help management see the future. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com to find out how a web application penetration test can mitigate the risk before you go live. Welcome to episode 70 of Enterprise Security Weekly. Paul's not here, John's not here, nobody's here that you know, but it's all new strangers. Well, it's episode 70, if you can believe that, 7-0, November 22nd, 2017, the day before crypto Thanksgiving or whatever you want to call it. I'm Doug White, uh, you know me, and I'm joined on the lines by none other than one of the like most you know amazing Skype people that ever existed on the earth. Uh, I mean, people kept calling all day asking about him being here and like, were we going to have like nude photos or what available? But it's Matt Alderman. Hey, Matt, how you doing? I'm good. That was a great introduction, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to have a good time. You know, I, I get bored otherwise. But we're joined today in the studio by none other than Ishmael Valenzuela, who's from Spain, who works for McAfee, who works for Sands, who has done like, I, I was like reading his resume and going, well, okay, uh, I, I guess I can leave now. And I'm, I'm sorry you had to do that. <laughs> oh, no, it was fun. I, I love to read those. You should black out lines on your resume, though. I had this, I had this interview. I was interviewing a person for a job right. for a company, and they had this whole section of the resume. It was redacted, and oh, it was wow. all blacked out. And I was like... You could put anything under there. I mean, like, like, so I was thinking I should just add a whole bunch of sheets to my resume and black them just all out. Black go, them out. See this part? If I if I told you about this part, I would have to kill you. <laughs> so you know, I was like, so just imagine to yourself all right. the great things that are in this section of the resume. I was like, that's a pretty good marketing. Strategy. Always works. Yeah. She, she didn't have a sense of humor at all. She was just like, mm -hmm, yes, mm -hmm, yes, yes. That's that's what we had to, we had to do. In the part I love the the part I love the most is the alphabet soup 
after, <laughs> you have more certifications than I think is like legally allowed by law. It, it, it was it was crazy reading all those. I took the them end. out of, of, of my uh, out of my uh, email signature, right? Because it was like, yeah, to yeah, yeah. You know, it's like page four, too ugly. <laughs> you have to have a flip down card. Right. I remember Craig Wright used to have like a, a card that flipped down twice because he had so many certifications. Right. And I was, I just maintaining those must get to be like. That's that's why I went for the GSE, right? That was the main reason for it and the challenge of it. Definitely. Yeah, well, yeah, that's an impressive but, um, And a way of not having to recertify every single certification. Right. Um, that's a good reason. And to having do to go that. through all of them individually. Well, I, I can see that. And, and then now you work for McAfee as an engineer. So that right. has to be pretty exciting. Uh, it is different for sure. Yeah, after uh, lots of years working out of consulting and uh, focusing on instant response and forensics and uh, kind of explained the same issues and same thing over and over again <laughs> to different customers, I was like, well, you know, what if I can tackle this problem from a different place, right, and, and try to help from a, from a different perspective? And uh, yeah, it is challenging, but at the same time, it's refreshing having different conversations with different kind of People, different roles. Is that like threat hunting stuff? Is that I mean? Is that? Are we gonna lunch, uh, throw a bunch of uh, passwords here? Like uh, <laughs> one of them? Um, yeah. So it's 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 about investigations in general. That's that's the kind of the problem I'm, I'm tackling right now. Okay. Uh, based on yeah, doing investigations when when doing threat hunting or when uh, you know triaging alerts mm. or um, different different ways of investigating. Um, but yeah, threat hunting is, is one of them, which is something that I've been doing in the last few years, okay. incident response, forensics. Do, do you think that, that that stuff is starting? Like, I, I used to train law enforcement, so, right. so I did a lot of law enforcement training for uh, response, for incident response, but it was more, at the time I was doing an incident response, it was a little bit of a different kind of thing for law enforcement. Right. Uh, I mean, do you think that that stuff's starting to cross over and sort of stabilize in, in the, in, I mean, across the, you know, there's, there's these different worlds, like, like a lot of you guys are in this sort of world that I wasn't in. Right. I was in this military law enforcement world and, and you guys were in this sort of commercial thing. Right. And then I was sort of in the commercial thing from a different perspective. But I, I wondered if it's starting to sort of homogenize across, you know, all the different groups because it, it should, you would think. Yes. And, and, you know, I come from more from an IT background rather than, mm -hmm. than law enforcement or military. But, um, but definitely it's, it's a different, different way of seeing the same problem. And I think one of the best things, especially since we're, we're talking about threat hunting, right? right? You need all these different perspectives. You need, you need all of these uh, different uh, fresh looks, right? To okay. tackle the, the problem because no one has the absolute truth. And that's one of the things that I'm enjoying myself right now, working out of engineering, working with data scientists. Okay. And they're asking questions that I never, you know, usually we go to conferences and we talk to people that have kind of the same background, right? And, uh, uh, you end up being asked questions that it's like, oh, I never thought about that problem from that perspective, mm -hmm. right? And I think it's I think it's good for okay. the industry. Well, so I, I had sort of cached some questions from things that I'm interested in, uh, okay. obviously, because I, I get that luxury, which is really fun. Um, one one of my questions for you that that I get asked a lot was was how would what would you build out if you were doing it as an enterprise? If if you were doing a, a, an incident response unit that was internal, what what would be on that group? What would you put on there? I mean, would it be a programmer? Would it be a? I mean, what would you put on that team? Mm. I mean, the answer may just That's be like question. the best people I and can find. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. So, uh, go, going along the lines I was I was outlining before, I think it's uh, it's you need people with different different uh, skills, different background. Because instant response could be about anything, really, right? Mm -hmm. So, and you're never gonna find that's the kind of the the, the, the unicorn, right? The, the guy, the guy that has the Windows skills, the Linux right. skills, the malware analysis skills, the reverse engineer, which is a completely different animal, right? Mm -hmm. Altogether, 
Um, so programming skills definitely help. That's kind of my background as well. Started with you know programming, then system administration, and it helps you to understand all the different layers right. uh, of the technology. Uh, but I want to have on my team people that think differently, that can challenge my perspective, right. uh, because of the bias, right? So you're going to throw like a history major in there. Uh, sometimes, yeah. You have no, I, I, people I, I, I'm not even yeah. being facetious no, no, about it. I, I, I think I've seen that done, and I've seen people do it. I, I used to do a lot of like uh, speeches to law enforcement about how to build these teams because one thing that was going on early was the law enforcement people didn't really know much about how right. this had developed commercially, and they were still thinking of it in terms of we're going to a crime scene, and they were really having to start to try to evolve their mentality right. about how this stuff affects us. Yeah. But enterprises had to do the same thing. They just did it a little bit earlier because right. they, they were getting, you know, just they, they didn't have a choice and they, yeah. had, they had to do that. And, and sometimes what you find is like there's a lot of technical people that might be really good at malware analysis, right? Or right. Uh, uh, doing reverse engineering or something like that or traffic analysis, but they do not understand the business, right? They don't mm -hmm. understand uh, how to conduct an investigation right. and, and how to ask hypotheses and how to, you know, prove those hypotheses. And, and sometimes where you land in the investigation is really, really important, right? And people coming from a law enforcement background, they, they tend to think differently, right? Well, and the law sense. enforcement people are really good coming back in because they did know how to do investigations. And the techie people we were dealing with, when I right. dealt with commercial, the techie people didn't really know anything about how to investigate or that what exactly. if this turns into a crime or what if this becomes exactly. a, like, giant issue. And yep. the law enforcement people did really well at that part of it because they, they always thought of everything in terms of it being a right. crime or a potential crime. And, and so we used to see people doing forensics and they didn't do a lot of critical things they really needed to do, especially if that what they thought was an internal investigation suddenly right. turned into a criminal investigation. Like I did one once that was like that right. and it started out financial. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you, you guys know this, this person has like 9,000 porn, child porn images on right. their machine. And, and it's like the, suddenly the police are there. And yeah. it's like, you know, and I'm glad you I handled this the way I handled it. Exactly. Without evidence makes a whole huge difference. We were just talking before a few minutes ago about, you know, some mistakes that make big corporations where they hire maybe junior guys because they're cheaper, right, to mm -hmm. do some maybe IR work or some forensics work. Absolutely. And then they, they end up uh, uh, having to present that evidence in a court of law and losing millions because yep. they didn't handle this in the, in the Absolutely. right way. I completely so, agree. Yeah. Well, what certs would you give those people? So if, you, if, you, if you're putting together an IR team right now, I mean, it's sort of a mid-sized enterprise, what, what would, you know, and you're doing something like you are saying with this sort of broad thing, is there some certification plan you would, you would put in place for that? Uh, SAN certifications, of course, <laughs> right? With, How you know, did I know he was going to say SANS? <laughs> and maybe the classes that I teach as well. Right? Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> let's, go, let's start with that. Shameless plug number right? five. That's okay, though. That's uh, why we're here. Yeah, like, which brings me into the classes I'm going to teach next. Uh, no, seriously. But, yeah, so one of my favorite classes uh, from all time, which it's actually the one I, I picked when I started to teach for SANS seven mm -hmm. years ago, uh, is uh, 503, Intrusion Detection in Depth. Um, because it's 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 a class that that uh, shows you teaches you how to not just how to analyze traffic but how to think as an analyst. Okay. Right. How to approach a problem. You see an indicator. What's going on there? What, okay. What could be an indication of right? Um, Five eleven is the class I've been teaching the most for the last couple of years. Fantastic class uh, mm -hmm. put together by Eric Conrad and, and Seth Meisner, um, and it's a, lots of fun with lots of hands-on exercises. And this year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick in 2018, I'm going to be teaching, uh, especially here in the East Coast, uh, a couple of, uh, well, all over the U.S., but starting in January in Reston and February in New York, a new class that uh, Chris Crowley put together oh. on SOC management. Cool. And it's a great class, uh, different kind of style because it's a management, 
managerial kind of uh, class. But it's very important as well because you might have the best SOC team or you know instant responders or uh, uh, SOC analysts, but if you don't have the management to support them and they don't have the right mindset, they don't give them the resources, they don't give them the the, the uh, uh, what they need to do their their job yeah. efficiently, right? We're, we're lacking something really, really important. Where, where do so. you th where do you think <clears throat> in sort of the growth chart of an organization, which hopefully is like this and not like that? Where where do you start thinking that you need to have an internal team and a SOC? And I mean, what you know, size wise? I mean, so if, right. I, if I've got five employees, I, I get asked this all the time by clients. You know, what do we need? Mm. You know, and of course the answer is like, you need everything and you need it now. And, and you need the best people, not, right. not just any people. I mean, senior people that, you know, in, in fact, hire Ishmael. And yeah. me, to, to, to be fine. We'll, we'll come we'll go to together. it. We'll go but together. Where, where do you see on that, that sort of grid of, of you know, growth that, that you need to start thinking about? It's no longer, I mean, obviously you can outsource, but I mean, when, right. when should you insource? That's a very good question. Um, uh, there's a lot of people talking about SOC, not just now. Yeah. It's something that's a, it's a recurrent topic right. for the last few years. Uh, but first of all, there's no single definition of SOC. So, well, yeah. you know, some people actually avoid to say they have a SOC because that means that they have to have certain, you know, <laughs> yeah. It's like a, a bank saying we don't have guards. Now. Exactly. Uh, but at the moment that you have someone looking at some locks, right, and, and doing something with those locks, uh, you kind of have some some kind of SOC, right? right. I mean, the, the purpose of that is to having consolidate, consolidate, uh, consolidate <laughs> different functions. I'll change the word. And, um, uh, uh, and also to have some kind of uh, command over over your monitoring mm -hmm. and what you do after you monitor and you figure out you have an alert, right? Right. Uh, so how you define that from, from events going into an incident and then how you handle that incident. And I guess any kind of medium-sized company has some kind of operations in place, security mm. operations, right? <laughs> if you want to yeah. call it like that. Uh, whether doing something with that or not, uh, whether looking at the, those logs or not, that's, that's a different thing. But at the... Uh, at the time that you have maybe uh, regulatory requirements right, right. Around, around your data um, and, and you have also some, some business requirements, which as we know, they're really important about how you, how you protect your data, right. what you do with it. Uh, you should have some kind of uh, security operations around that. Hmm. Um, now, whether you, you can invest more or less, that it's also usually given by management. That's why I feel it's very important to... to um, to do awareness uh, with them and teach them how to how how important it is and how to design the SOC, how to build it, how to maintain it, and and essentially that it's not a compliance problem, right? It's a it's a right. business problem, a real problem, yeah. And um, well, we we kept seeing that. So so when I first got involved in this, it it came out of 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 Sarbanes, right? So Sarbanes Oxley came about, and all of a sudden I was getting phone calls from sometimes fairly large, you know, like even multinational companies saying. We don't know what this means. Can you come in and tell us what this is? And I started doing this, actually, it was kind of, I guess, intuitively, uh, you know, just by saying you have one guy who runs the server right. that supports 100,000 customers, that that person is also responsible for securing the server, is responsible for auditing the logs, right. is responsible for determining that he's behaving in a reasonable fashion. And, and one of the things that came out of Sarbanes and, and HIPAA, we're looking at essentially what you're describing as a SOC. So taking all those functions and putting them in a place where they're self-contained and autonomous instead of saying, oh, the IT department just handles all that, which is right. where you get into all kinds of trouble. Right. Exactly. exactly. I mean, we've, 
seeing that a lot. Uh, we've seen similar pro problems with MSSPs, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think MSSPs are, are fantastic, and, and they definitely have a place. Uh, but when you start outsourcing the responsibility, right, and thinking, oh, there's someone else that's taking care of that, that's when it becomes a problem as well. How, so how, how do you think – so one of the things that we're seeing now is insurance. Mm -hmm. So we just started seeing, and you're just starting to see, uh, cyber insurance starting to appear in the world. And, and I know that the big players, FM Globals and people of the world, are starting to develop policy underwriting for enterprise. And so my question is, do, do you think that those insurers are going to start mandating SOX, IR, internal – and if so, what do you think they're going to mandate? Well, we've seen this in the past as well with, you know, I come from Europe where, where data uh, protection regulations are really, you know, very important and they've mm -hmm. been in place for a long time. Uh, and I think that whether it's, it's those kinds of regulations or insurance dictating what you have, the minimum standard you have to have, I think it's good. I think it's good in general. Mm -hmm. It's definitely good for us, right? Right. Uh, more work for the industry. Uh, but the problem with this is that... Uh, it's, we always talk about the culture, right, and the mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, that's important to have, but if all you want to be is compliant, uh, you're always going to have, like, major problems that you might not be addressing, right? And, and, and we see this all over again. This is something we see in the security industry. It seems like a cycle, right? Uh, every I, I think at the site, I mean, I, I've seen, I mean, all these things are always people aiming at a, at a moving right. target. And, or there's really kind of a stable target, which is to be secure. Right. But you're always sort of shooting high and low around, around that nice flat line of security that you need right. in that enterprise. And, and I agree. I, I, I audited a lot of people who I went in and talked to them and, and basically their approach is that what do we need to m meet the compliance? And it's like, right. and I like what you said about it. It's not what you need to be compliant. It's what do you need to be safe, right? And and that's the real difference because it's like saying you know you have all this money in a big pile, and and the rule says you have to have a guard, right? So we yeah. hired the oldest, dumbest person that we could find to sit in a, in a folding chair over in the corner, and I hope that's good enough. Right. And and then all your money gets stolen. Well, there is one thing that is very positive, and it's that there will be fines, right? And people usually they don't get involved with things mm -hmm. uh, unless there is a fine, <laughs> unless yeah, there is oh, some, yeah. and, and this. Uh, gives you the idea that there is there's a business impact, right? Right. And, and uh, we've been seeing this uh, with the uh, merchants and last few year retail business and you know Equifax now and many other big bridges that this this has an impact on the business and that's the way it should be. But but there's there's still not many fines coming with it, right? And I've seen, for instance, this in in Europe where people is probably a bit more. Um, uh, it's less reluctant to say to do certain things, mm -hmm. not because they have a better mindset or maybe better security culture, but just because there's a fine involved. And if I don't do this, then there's... So I, it I helps. Like, I like the fine to come from the underwriting side, though. I, I, I hate regulatory stuff because it's so nebulous and it changes right. so slowly, so it's difficult. And they have the same problem in Europe is they have these, you know, very, you know, yeah. far-reaching regulations and they're really hard to, you know, pull the threads out. You need nine lawyers every time you turn around. Oh, yeah. Same thing here. But as I, I love underwriting because it's very efficient. Because when, when the fine is really the fact that your insurance premium now went from $800,000 to $50 million, right. you can kind of pick where you want to live on that risk curve, and the underwriters decide what that risk curve looks right. like. And they're really good at it but because that, you throw actual – I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Matt. No, but that's assuming, Doug, that the insurers are actually doing a good job in the application process. And then this is a space I've tracked a little bit from some of my advisory work, the, the base applications are the 
process is still pretty basic, right? They're looking for certain controls in place. So we can almost go back to Ishmael's um, analogy of compliance, right? It's like, do you have one of these? Yes. Do you have one of these? Yes. Do you have one of these? Yes. Let me price a policy. It doesn't get into, are those validated controls? Are those processes working? So I, I think this is still playing out a little bit on the insurer side. I don't think we're going to quite see that impact in the premiums yet, but there are a few cyber insurers that I think are are going to get a little more advanced. I think we're still at the early days of some of this. Right, exactly. And how they're going to measure that, right? How they're going to measure what is effective and what is what's absolutely. not. And I completely agree. It, it's loss rates at the end of the day, right? It's, it's all it going to be about is. measuring their loss rates. And until we see high loss rates from the insurers, I'm not sure that we see a change in the way they address the application and the pricing side of the equation that'll be the the key measure for me no and, and i completely agree with that too I, I yesterday on my show i was talking about cryptocurrency and i was talking about you know there's, there's no graph and you know there's not a chart like you could go back on on hp we we're going to talk about hp later but uh, you go back on hp 50 years and look at their stock price but on on cyber problems and security problems the graph is really short right and so actuarials rely completely on those graphs and so i i think matt's right on the money is that initially you're going to see a lot of fluctuation moving targets right. uh from insurers because they're not going to know what the real risks are and and they're going to base it on very static things like COVID or something and say so you have to have these 52 controls check all these boxes and you're good to go which is what we're doing with surveillance right uh, but over time they'll go you know these controls do nothing Right. And you still had all kinds of problems. So these controls are useless. You really need to have these. And, and yeah, and, you know, in 50 years, we, we, we may have some kind of a map that actuarials right. follow. But, yeah, I think short term it's going to be difficult. So that's why you have regulations. Right. Exactly. It's going to be interesting for sure. And, and GDPR may change that equation a little bit, right? I mean, the fines associated with, with GDPR may change the dynamics a little bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because the fines are, are linked to revenue. Um, so we'll see if that's another driver that, that gets people a little more serious about aspects of, of privacy right. and, and data protection. So in that light, then my other question about <laughs> that is, so when this thing starts to evolve, what do you think they're going to require? I mean, I know these are really open-ended questions, but that's okay. I mean, you can give an open-ended answer, but I'm like, so if insurers do get involved in this, what mm -hmm. do you think they're going to make you do? I mean, if you're an enterprise sitting out there in the world, like all of you, what, what's going to happen with that? Well, I think yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. That's what I was thinking about, right? How they're going to measure this. Yeah. And I've had some conversations with some some insurers, and and I agree with Matt. It's it's they they don't even know right no, now. No, they absolutely they don't, don't even know. know. It's like how they're going to do this when with small companies, for instance, right? If they don't have a sock, or uh, what are they going to do? Are they going to scan their ports and see if there's? Let's say we know how effective that is not, right? Um, so and we know that security in the end comes comes down to processes, right? Yeah. A lot. Uh, so how they're going to measure that? Okay. So that they will probably have to to take certain metrics uh, that they can they can look at. Um, and uh, but it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. And and to me that that's going to be just one more driver for people to mm -hmm. do the right thing. But I think that doesn't it really doesn't change our our job, uh, which is to go beyond that to make to make people understand this is something that has to be way more proactive than that, right. and that will be something that you will have to have. But I don't think it's going to change the the industry massively. I think it's uh, it, it's all about doing the right thing. And and again, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see the industry changing massively in the in the near terms. Uh, we've never learned that lesson with like physical law enforcement. Right. I mean, I mean, 
we've been doing law enforcement since you know somebody said you know the next cave over the guy's beating him beating up his friends i mean we still are always reactive in law enforcement because whenever you go to the well and you say we need more money and you say it's going to cost another hundred million dollars a year and the city will be safe everybody goes yeah wait, sure. wait till it happens and we'll do something about it and then right. and you get those kind of scale up reaction and then overreactions and, and all right. that I mean, I, I was going to, I think you kind of answered it, but uh, for small and middle-sized enterprises, this is a huge issue because if you do get a regulation requiring you to have cyber insurance uh, right. and you are a small company, it could well be just like the bank breaking problem, just right. like Sarbanes and HIPAA were like, I mean, I, the first time I ever did any of this was with HIPAA and I had a doctor's office call me and they said, how, how do we become, we have to become HIPAA compliant right. for our underwriting. And I, I didn't even really know much about HIPAA, and I went and got the, I got the statute, and I read it, and I went back and said, you're not going to like this. <laughs> and, you know, the changes they had to make to be compliant were the guy said, you're literally just, you know, you're breaking the bank right. here. I yep. mean, I have five physicians working in a small office. He said, you're telling me I have to have a sock, yep. essentially. He didn't say same that, thing. but that was the idea. Same thing with data protection. You know the best. I've seen the same thing. Yeah, the best way to protect a doctor's office is don't use electronic health records, and then the yeah. law doesn't apply. Still, just stay on paper. You're fine. Well, I, <laughs> right. I, yeah, that's true. And, and, and hire a big guy with a ball bat and says, don't look at yeah. that. Yeah. And, and healthcare is a whole different conversation. Healthcare is yeah. definitely a less mature environment, right, that we have when we talk about security. But, um, look but at, yeah, that's... Look at law enforcement, too. I mean, I mean, there's almost no regulation controlling like law enforcement, uh, city, states, and towns. I, I mean, and they have massive amounts yeah. of breach potential, you know, in all these different facilities. And there's really no guidance on that yeah. at all. I've seen crazy stuff. Definitely. So, Ishmael, you 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 said a key term, metrics. Any <laughs> any thoughts on which ones matter? Um, this has been an ongoing debate for a while right. uh, from my GRC and my security background. I mean, are there some metrics that you can think of that, that people should try to start tracking or thinking about? And any, any recommendations there? Uh, that's the, like kind of the holy grail of security, right? <laughs> We've been talking about this for, I've been in this business for about 20 years and we keep talking about the same thing over and over again. Um, I, uh, I'm i a regular co-chair of the SOC Summit for the last few years, and, and we had um, uh, one, of the, one of the speakers, actually was my co-chair as well a couple of years ago, and, and she was talking about this and how she influenced the, the board of a very large company with metrics that they weren't that complicated, but they actually meant something. They actually drove uh, action, positive action. And that was like a like a... Uh, uh, a shocker for me, not, I mean, it's a very simple concept, right? But usually when we talk about metrics, what we do is we, uh, we go to our dashboards, we go to our tools, right? What, what can the SIM give me? Oh, the SIM gives me this, so that's the metric I should use, mm. right? And I've seen all kind of complex uh, uh, calculations, the spreadsheets that just to understand what the spreadsheet was doing <laughs> took me like hours. Like, what are you trying? And then at the end of all that stuff, it's like, what are you trying to achieve, right? Right? It's like, do you want to have more visibility on your network, for instance? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, maybe one metric should be uh, you know, how many networks you can monitor, right, out of your... Yeah. And just keep it simple. And, and start... I, I'm not saying that you have to fake those metrics, right? But kind of direct them towards your objective, your goal. Mm -hmm. Because the, in the end, the metric is just a tool to get, to get something. It's either support for management, right, getting more budget, getting more people, um, or you know, getting the tools that you need in your in your environment so you can achieve that objective. Right. 
So as long as it serves the purpose, right, and it drives you into that direction, uh, I think that's, that's a good metric. And then we can talk about, you know, things like, for instance, you see people doing penetration testing or red teaming exercises, which is the new buzzword, right? Right. All the time, and then they deliver the report, and it's like, oh, that's great, thank you. Mm -hmm. And then you put it in a drawer, and then next year, you do the same thing. Right. It's exactly. like, what are you learning out of this? Yeah. Right, or um, dwell time is usually one of the metrics that we've been uh, um, keeping for a long time, right? It's like dwell time defined as time um, uh, uh, from the time that the, the, the incident happened to the time of detection, right? How long has the attacker been on the network, which is a, it's a very good metric in my, right. in my opinion. But now you see like ransomware attacks ramping up that is modifying that metric. Mm -hmm. So you see like dwell time being reduced. Mm -hmm. And that might be confusing or deceiving because you see like, oh, we're doing better, right? We're doing much better. And in reality, what happens is that you have lots of ransomware going on, which obviously people are going to report right away. Right. That's going to reduce dwell time. It doesn't mean that you're doing better. Okay. It's like it's I, noticeable, I right? So, again, I would pick every metric with a grain of salt, and I would look at what does it, uh, uh, what does it mean, what it's driving me towards. That's, mm. I mean, that's the key. So, thing. so that that kind of leads me to my last question, and I'll let you off the hook. But okay. my my last question, uh, a long time ago, William <coughs> Gibson wrote this book called Neuromancer, and 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 in in the book, there's there's a character that's that's an artificial intelligence called Dixie Flatline, which which is this very famous thing. And way back, this was written in '87. Right. So way back, William Gibson was thinking about not security from a perspective of me fighting you off. Uh, you know, it was literally people were buying AI, mm. Dixie Flatlines, and AI that case buys to attack this other piece of what he called ICE, which was a firewall, right. and to try to penetrate it. D do you think that, that threat hunting, IR, and all this stuff can then become a kind of, because it's always going to be faster than, than I could ever possibly be. I mean, right. I don't care how good I am. If there's, if there's a threat that's running at machine speeds, scripted, it's going to beat me every single right. time. So do you think that, that a lot of this then becomes a kind of uh, AI model that has our machine learning kind of model right. that has to be out there? Uh, thanks for dropping that word, machine learning, because <laughs> that's, that's the key word right now, right? Uh -huh. if, you, if any of you uh, were at Black Hat this year, it's like it, yep. every single vendor machine we're talking about. Yeah. Machine learning, deep learning is like, what does that mean? I don't know, but it's... But the marketing people like that. Exactly, yeah. right? Sexy. It's sexy. Uh, but as you said, right, uh, artificial intelligence is nothing new. Mm -hmm. um, actually, uh, I was reading a, a study from Harvard University. They talk about that this is the third iteration of uh, in artificial intelligence, right? Yeah. Uh, we went through like cycles of, oh, this is awesome, and then it's like, oh, this is not working right. for us. And now we will go, we're going back in, and, oh, this is awesome, it's going to solve all our problems. Uh, and then we'll go back to, oh, this works for these certain cases, right. and it doesn't work that well for these others, right? Um, so definitely, I think artificial intelligence in general is going to be... Um, um, I wouldn't say revolutionary, but uh, it's definitely going to be part of what we do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But we also, and you know, uh, machine learning and deep learning and all of these techniques, but we also have to understand that there's always an attacker on the other side. There's a human being on the other side of the mm -hmm. uh, of this equation. And they also have access to the same technology that we, that we have. Right. So they're going to use machine learning against us. They're going to use deep learning against us. And, and there's actually a whole field around this that it's called uh, adversarial machine learning. Uh, that uh, and it's uh, there's interesting experiments like for instance uh, uh, the self-driving cars right right uh, that will read these signs like a stop sign and will do something based based on that so 
uh, image recognition, right? And, and there's lots of technologies that we use these days, like uh, every single day on our phones, etc. Right. that they, they work with this. And it, they work really well. Uh, but there are simple ways in which you can deceive that technology. And just by just using a, you know, a bunch of stickers in certain places, <laughs> a human being can see that's still the stop sign. I right. should stop. But the self-driving car, right, the technology will, will read that as something completely different and will not stop. But, but that's the difference in, in AI, which is autonomous and machine learning, because humans, humans learn that behavior as well. I mean, at some point, we all sat down and we learned that the sign that says halt or stop or whatever right. it says meant that. And so we learned that too. So machine learning, right. uh, so an autonomous car could conceivably learn that, yeah, it still means stop even if there's a bunch of wacky stickers on it because right. that's the difference in learning and right. becoming an AI rather than just being a set of pre-programmed responses. Because if I say, if you see a red sign with STOP on it, stop and wait five seconds and then hit the gas. Right. And you'll already be a better driver than most people. Um, but, it, but when you can actually then make decisions, learn about that, and log that, because if you could connect all those right. cars together and one car sees that behavior and says, oh, this is going on, be aware of it, and all the other cars pick up on that, suddenly you got a really safe model. But right. Yeah, and, and I think that in security, we're really far from that. So yeah. to answer oh, your yeah. question, we're really far from that. What we have today is a bunch of you know, algorithms. Sometimes you know, I feel like we're using term machine learning for things that we don't really need machine learning for, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe with some other deterministic models or simple statistics, we can actually get the same results. Right. Uh, uh, but, but what I see is that we, we use some of these analytics and sometimes we just produce more data. Okay. But then you have to go and analyze. Then it, a human being has to go and analyze them. But at the same time, I think we're missing an opportunity here to, to learn from the human, to get the machines to learn from human interaction, for instance. I agree. Like, what, what does a SOC analyst do on a daily basis? Right. What are the alerts that they triage? What, what does a threat hunter, you know, focus their work on? And mm. then for machines to be able to learn from these patterns and be able to now create some other kind of intelligence that the human can take and, um, and, and apply what a human being can only do, which is applying strategic thinking and uh, prioritization, understanding the business, how to make a determine the impact of a decision, I which agree. for a machine is always going to be very, very and, difficult. And that all leads to like cyborg Larry Pesci, who, who then <laughs> takes over and Skynet activates and, 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 and right. it's like cyborg Larry coming for us all. I, for one, welcome our new overlords. So, so you know, I'll just get on the record as saying that. Ishmael Valenzuela, amazing. Stick around. We're going to do the security news when we come back.